Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Paul Haywood, the author and columnist, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Great managers seize the moment. They have a definable philosophy and an ability to take people with them. They always have 2020 strategic vision. By initiating and signing a new four-year contract, Jurgen Klopp has energised Liverpool as they seek perfection in the run-in. He wants to build a dynasty. Now, Paul, you know something about that, having worked with Sir Alex Ferguson. Will Klopp succeed? Well, he's got all his skills and talents for it, Mike. I mean, this to me is a, a statement of faith in the future. Jurgen Klopp is far too clever to hang around at a club where he thinks he's already peaked, where the success has already been had. So the fact that he thinks that he can stay there for another four years and continue to be successful tells you that everything is working well, everything's in the right place. He's comfortable with his power and his authority there, the long-term prospects of the club. He feels a spiritual connection to them, obviously. But I, I think it. I, Liverpool fans must be exultant, really, not just because Klopp is staying, because, because of what this says about how well the club is functioning at the moment. Yeah, certainly. You know, you know, you you've been in dressing rooms where managers have signed new contracts, Adrian. What impact does that have? Because it was quite striking that you know part of the deal was getting some backing for new signings, and he wants the contracts for Mo Salah and, and Sadio Mane sorted. It does make a huge difference because players want to know where they stand. And it, this news is is just wonderful for Liverpool fans in what is already a tremendous campaign, possibly their greatest ever. And, and and to get this news will undoubtedly help them sign Mo Salah up to a longer-term deal. I'm, I'm sure of that. It, it, it can't do any harm. And it just strikes me that, that Klopp is a manager that players just love to work with. You don't hear any negativity at all coming out of that Liverpool dressing room, do you? And, and it's... It's because they, they love working with him. They know that he's going to bring them success and and players are improving. I, I watched a BT documentary about the boot room, boot room boys at, at Liverpool. Mm. And there was an old clip of Kevin Keegan saying, I don't want to work for any other manager than Bill Shankly. I love him. I just can't see myself going anywhere or working with another manager again. And I, I, I just feel that Jurgen Klopp fosters that same devotion from the players in his dressing room. So this is, yeah, overwhelmingly good news for, for the club and the fans. Mm. I mentioned Sir Alex, Paul. Do you think Klopp is the Sir Alex of his 
generation, you know, in terms of influence, if not longevity? Yes, I do. And I think that it's it, it's highly unusual in modern football. I, I think we all thought we wouldn't see this again. Every manager would be on a two or three year cycle and then be gone. And that is the pattern, let's face it. It, it. We don't expect managers to stay for 10 years anymore. And we don't expect managers to transform clubs from the bottom up. I, mean, I was looking at Klopp's first team in 2015. It was a 0-0 draw against Spurs. His goalkeeper was Mignolet. Back four was Klein, Skirtle, Sacco and Moreno. All good players, but none of them would get in the team now. And, and the development of, of the team, the quality of the squad in seven years has been phenomenal. It's incredibly difficult to do that, especially when you're surrounded by powerful rivals like Man City and Chelsea and so on. I didn't mention Manchester United, obviously. Uh, and um, so, so, so Klopp is a is a is a is a transformational manager. And when you're doing that season after season, you'd ask yourself, well, well why should it end? Why shouldn't it go on for ten years? But it, it's refreshing to see, and it's certainly unusual in the modern game. Yeah, Paul talked of of team development there. Aid. How do you see this Liverpool team evolving? Obviously, they're in the good position of, of strengthening from a position of strength. Where do they need to strengthen, do you think? <laughs> it's, di- it's difficult to pinpoint where they need to strengthen because they are strong in every department now. You look, you look at, they've got two excellent players in each position. I think it's just going to be a case of one in, one out. You know, if, if a player dips... If a player shows any kind of lapse in in energy and focus and determination and drive to improve, then I think Klopp will be ruthless enough to move them on and bring in a direct replacement. It's it's just, he's got a formula, hasn't he? And it works. Teams haven't been able to cope with it. And I, I just see a continuation, really. He's, he's just a great manager, isn't he? He is a manager in the true sense. I think... I think with Pep Guardiola, it's he's the pure coach. He's a, he is the coach's coach, tactical genius. But Klopp has has a way about him, doesn't he? He's, he's like a the Pied Piper. People want to follow Jurgen Klopp, and uh, yeah, it's it must be very exciting to be part of that team. Uh, they won't. <laughs> I think he during the course of this contract, he will decide how this team evolves. Who who leaves? Who comes in? He's going to have a slightly bigger say, I think, moving forwards, and he certainly earned that right. Mm. In the, in the short term or the immediate future, Paul, he's got another test, hasn't he, of his ability to manage his resources, and and you know that ability to to get a, a sense of the levels of of mental and physical resilience that his players have got within them. Does that make uh, you know what will probably be a fervent St James's Park on Saturday lunchtime, a pretty dangerous place for Liverpool in the middle of this Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday sequence? Well, it's certainly at this end of the season that you become vulnerable to an ambush, no matter how good you are, because the pressure becomes intense, particularly if you're going for four trophies. So everybody's looking at the fixture schedule and saying, well, where could Liverpool get ambushed? And Newcastle is certainly a place where that could happen. But again, he's he, he's he's already planning ahead for that. I mean, the fact that he was able to take off four players in a 
Champions League game is, is, is quite striking. And he's in complete control of his resources, as you said, Mike. He seems to be able to think two moves ahead. And the players are playing at such a level of confidence and conviction now that it's all very well Newcastle talking themselves up and saying, oh, well, you know, if anyone's going to knock them over, it'll be us. But, you know, wait till they wait till they run on that pitch and see those Liverpool players in front of them. Let's see whether they're up for an ambush then. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think, um, Aid, of, of Newcastle's development in the last sort of six months? Oh, very impressive. Paul used the term transformational with Jurgen Klopp, rightly so, but in a shorter time frame, Eddie Howe's had a transformational effect. It's amazing, really, because I, I know that he spent money. I know that they've got you know five excellent new players, four of which are in the team, but to gel them with the existing players, to get more out of the players that had been bottom of the table earlier on in the campaign is, is a testament to his coaching. I mean, they're chasing a seventh consecutive win at St. James's Park. They've won 10 of their last 14. It's This is a team that, that couldn't buy a win earlier on in the season. I did a piece on them earlier in the week and you know I sort of looked at some of the numbers. In the last 14 games, they've, they've conceded less than the goal a game, 0.86. In the first 20 games, they're averaging 2.15 goals against per game. The, the XG against has been halved. Going forward, they're scoring infinitely more goals, creating better chances. It's it's been excellent from Eddie Howe, and his stock is uh, is certainly on the rise. Yeah, but having said all that, and I you know I, I get where you're coming from, Aid. When you look at this, Lewis Sahara I saw this week, Paul. You know, calling for him to be named Premier League Manager of the Season. We need a bit of perspective, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think. Um... I think if that were to happen, um, I think perhaps Jurgen Klopp would change his mind about staying and he'd just, <laughs> he'd just get on the first place plane to Germany. He um, can't win everything, Paul. He can't no. win everything else, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's going for the quintet, actually, isn't he? Manager of the year <laughs> yeah. as well, not the quadruple. <laughs> Eddie Howe, I think, was an inspired choice. He was exactly what they needed at that point in their cycle and he's done brilliantly well. He also had... You know, £18 million, I think it was, in the January transfer window. That's not necessarily enough in the Premier League to win 10 games out of 14, as Aid says, but it's it's certainly a measure of his quality that he's he's been able to do that as a coach, as a, as a, a strategist. And all credit to him, but he's a long way off winning manager of the year. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's daft. I don't think it's a daft suggestion. I think he's he has to be on the shortlist. I mean, it would no doubt go to Klopp possibly Guardiola, depending on where the trophies end up, I suppose. But in terms of the impact, you know, from where they were to where they are now, it is spectacular. I don't think you can deny that. I think over this period, when he's been in charge, they were, they're sixth in the table, Newcastle United. So, yeah, I think he's, he's, it's not as laughable as <laughs> maybe some people think, but he won't win it, let's be honest. <laughs> No, I'd give David Moyes a shout if you're if you're judging judging it by those criteria. You know, looking at the other side of management, Paul Frank Lampard. You know, there's a real irony this weekend that Chelsea are the latest club to uh, have the chance to chip away at his reputation. If he takes Everton down, would that be career defining and perhaps even career destroying? Potentially career-destroying in the sense that, you know, Everton is such an established Premier League name. To see them drop out of the out of the league would be 
It would cause collateral damage to Frank Lampard, even though he's not the main author of it. He will be accused of failing to stop it happening. And that, and given the players and the resources he has, that, that really wouldn't look very good on his, on his CV. You know, it's worth remembering that he was, um, he was picked out of the air in some ways by Everton in, in this kind of, in this random selection process they have, this random management style that the, the owners and executives seem to think is good enough for, for the Premier League. So, again, it's not his fault. Some people would say he'd been handed a hospital pass, but others would look at the coaching on the ground and say, well, what has he done to stop that happening? And the answer would be not enough. I don't think they'll go down, but the the primary problem there to me has been that he's, he hasn't made them harder to score against. He's, the, the defensive solidity hasn't been strong enough to provide a platform to get the forward end of the team going properly. Yeah, because as you say, you know, I think it's, it's crass to actually even suggest that you know, Frank Lampard should take you know the entire blame for what what is going on, given the the history of, of mismanagement there has been at the club. What I've also noticed, Aid, is that there seems to be almost an unfair amount of enjoyment, almost glee, that is being taken in his predicament. Yeah, why is that? I wonder. It's. <sighs> He's a superstar name, isn't he? I wonder whether it's a sense people maybe feel he's he's been lucky. There's a sense of entitlement maybe about Frank Lampard. He, he got the derby job on name only, didn't he, really? And used his connection with Chelsea to get Tamuri on loan, Mount on loan, and, and, and couldn't get them up, but still landed the Chelsea job without really proving that he was a special manager at Derby County. And and and, and there are a number of people, Paul's just used the word random, that would, would describe his appointment there at Everton as, as slightly fortunate on his part, even though it doesn't feel very fortunate for him at the moment, does it? You maybe wish he hadn't taken it. But, yeah, maybe that's why people people want to have a little dig at, dig at Frank Lampard. I'm not quite sure. I like Frank. He's clearly very knowledgeable about football. He, he loves the game. He's a student of it. But but I think the jury is out on his ability to be a top-level manager because we haven't seen enough change in Everton. Paul said it defensively. There's not been enough of an improvement. In terms of... When, when Mikel Arteta came in at Arsenal, he was a rookie as a manager. But immediately you saw what he was trying to achieve. You saw unusual movements. You saw, you saw the work that had been done on the training ground and things were a little bit different. I think you can say the same about a lot of top managers. Tuchel, when he took over, the change was, you know, just leapt off the page. With Frank, it doesn't seem, I don't see a big change. I, I see quite basic tactics, basic approach. Uh, I'm, that might not be enough to, to take this Everton team forward. Mm. It's interesting you know, that, that Aid mentioned uh, Tuchel there, Paul. You know, he has stressed his longer-term commitment to Chelsea, given everything that's you know, floating around that football club at the moment. But he's still yet to solve you know, a fundamental problem, which is the balance of that attack. You know, Havertz really should have got a couple of goals against United, shouldn't he? We don't know about Timo Werner as a, as a, an absolute world-class player or world-class striker he's got a lot to to do with that team hasn't he and he's 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 got difficult circumstances in which to do it 
Yeah, it's very it's a very good point because obviously in, inherited a lot of expensive attacking players, and Chelsea hadn't really found the balance for them before he arrived. And if if there's one reservation you'd have about him, it, it is as you said, Mike, the fact that. You know he's had the he's had the Lukaku distraction all season. None of the other players have have completely filled the gap left by what Lukaku was meant to be to them. Havertz is the is I think is the most gifted of them. Werner to me is a is a you know a miss. I think they I, I think he'll go. So Tuchel's biggest job is obviously to to get that end of the team functioning properly, but. But of course, he doesn't know, you know, because he doesn't know who's going to own the club. He doesn't know what their what their spending is going to be like. He doesn't know what their their approach to the academy is going to be like. It's going to be a completely different football club by the time a new owner has taken it over. And I, I'm quite surprised that he he sounds so willing to stay. I thought he might have hedged his bets a bit more because he just simply doesn't know who he's going to be working for. Yeah, that's true enough, isn't it? And. Manchester United, that's the other club, <laughs> which has uh, got just a whole fog of inadequacy and uncertainty around it, Aid. I'm indebted to Andy Mitten for telling me the scorers of their last nine goals. <laughs> Ronaldo, 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 Fred. Ronaldo didn't play there. Ronaldo, 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 Ronaldo and Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, He's the problem, isn't he? They can't he get is rid the of problem. Him. They can't get rid of him. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Give him a new contract. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It, he's he is a shining light. It, I've been, I've I, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. A lot of people have been saying throughout this season, Ronaldo's an issue at Manchester United. And I, I've been consistently going against that and just saying, no, he isn't. There's a lot bigger issues there around the club than than their best player. And uh, yeah, without him, where, where would they be this season? They'd be very much mid-table, wouldn't they? So so yeah, he's um, you've, got to stick, you've got to stick with Ronaldo. There, there are some big decisions to be made this summer. And I think that Eric Ten Hag is going to have to be incredibly ruthless and brutal with, with his decision-making. And some... Some big name casualties will will have to depart, I think, to to pave the way for a new a new feel there, a new vibe at Old Trafford. A lot of work to do, um, but I'm sure that the report is being sort of typed up. You know, if not as we speak, it's, it's I'm sure there's a draft already that exists for for Ralph Rangnick to pass on, and I would imagine that he will be fairly fairly. Um, critical and give him give him a good steer on which players need to need to move on and 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 i would suggest seven or eight have to have to go this summer Mm. we've been around the block a bit paul have you ever seen in your experience a team of such almost collective indolence no no i really haven't i've never seen a top club uh pick and choose when to play as this Manchester United team does. It, it, it's shocking to me that you can get away with that really at this level. It shouldn't be possible at Manchester United. And I think the, the rotten culture in the, in the dressing room is, is the first problem. And that obviously connects to all sorts of other issues, such as uh, a recruitment, the way the club is run, who's making the decisions. But fundamentally, until you solve that problem of players not clocking on in games, or clocking off when they 
you know, when they're a bit fed up or they've, they've found an excuse not to uh, commit themselves and apply themselves, that's the first problem to solve. And Ralph Ranick has spotted it, of course. You know, he's been talking about it a lot. He's questioned the professionalism of the players. Roy Keane does it every week on television. Uh, it, it, it should be obvious by now that there is a culture problem at Manchester United, which Eric Ten Hag will have to solve. And obviously he might try to solve it by, as Aid says, you know, getting rid of seven or eight players. That, very, that might help. But if there's an underlying problem there that keeps replicating itself, that's going to be quite hard to cure. Klopp, Guardiola would cure it quickly. But can Eric Ten Hag cure it quickly, given that he won't have their power and authority? No, and, he, and it's, it's a huge step up for him. I know that Ajax is, is, a, is a, a huge institution, great club. But Manchester United are on a different level and the scrutiny that he'll be under will be on you know, such a, a gargantuan scale by comparison to what he's accustomed to. We don't know how he's going to handle that, do we? And it, it feels like a job for a really strong man, a strong personality. That's why I'm, I, I, was, I was a little bit surprised that, that they went for him. But, but yeah, good luck to him. It's going to be hard. The, the club are the club are to blame, or the way the club is structured and run is to blame, really, for allowing the Malays to continue, isn't it? That, that much is clear. When you send out a message pretty early on in the season that you're going to have an interim interim manager, it's you know they first had Carrick and then and then Ranić. It it's basically it wrote off the season, didn't it? In a way, we I think we said it at the time. Well, they're in limbo until the start of next season. And that's how they've played. They've played like a team that that don't care about this year. It, <laughs> you know, that's not the way to go about things. Yeah, some strong management required, I suspect. You know, speaking of managers, Paul, and we spoke of Frank Lampard earlier, an individual who's appeared in quite a few, the same sentences as Mr Lampard, Stephen Gerrard. At Aston Villa, he's been given... I. I, I get the sense greater leeway for his, you know, relative underachievement there in the sort of six months or so he's been there. It looks like they they can end their lingering threat of of relegation, you know, by beating Norwich on Saturday. What have you made of Stephen Gerrard's, shall we say, Premier League apprenticeship? Well, I think there's a big difference between Gerrard and Lampard in that Gerrard was a catch for Aston Villa. Gerrard had done something quite substantial at Rangers already. He ended that long wait for a league title. He put Rangers back on top of Celtic and and had, had, had changed a lot at Rangers and had achieved quite a lot in a short space of time. Therefore, in a very difficult environment, he'd proved his credentials, or at least he'd proved his, his, his worthiness, if you like, to take a Premier League job. And I think Aston Villa were quite felt that they'd won the race to get him in a, in a way. They may have overstated that a little bit, but that's that's how it felt. Whereas with Lampard was being, Lampard had been rescued from a, a period of drift, hadn't he? He'd been, he'd been dismissed by Chelsea, you know, and he wasn't an, an obvious candidate for the Everton job. So, so Aston Villa felt that with a lot of money to spend, that Gerrard was, was ready for that job and that he was a, he was a catch for them. They have spent a lot of money, and and I think he had a, a, a an immediate effect on them. They looked they they looked like him. It was a team in his image for the first ten or so games, and you thought, right, okay, we know what Aston Villa are going to be now. They're going to be a kind of a, a, a version, if you like, of the Liverpool teams that Gerard played in. Since then, it's 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 gone adrift a bit. So they lost four games in a row. They stopped that run with um with a nil nil draw. They're a bit 
too close to the relegation zone for comfort and people are saying well you know what what is Steven Gerrard's calling card what 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 is he how is this team developing i think i think he's entitled to have this difficult phase because he's taken on a bigger job than you might think with a with a high expectation big ambition at the club that's not easy and i think ultimately he deserves more time to get everything in order and and to get the team moving forward again yeah, with with Norwich, I, it does seem to be all turning sour a little bit, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting. Norwich fans don't have a reputation for sourness or, or militancy, yet they seem to have taken against the sporting director Stu Webber, who you know I've got an awful lot of time for, but in turn, you know, he's taking time off to climb Everest. You know that the club is at a crossroads yet again, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's not been a good year for them, has it? And it's it, they've taken a real backward step. They, they just got their recruitment wrong last summer. And and for that reason, yeah, they're heading back down, but they're heading back down looking weaker than they did than they did before. On the climbing Mount Everest thing, look, I get, I get the criticism, but we're all entitled to a holiday. We're all entitled to, to a little bit of time off. It does you good. Doesn't it? I would imagine climbing Everest might clear his mind. It's, it's, you know, they have some bed up there, or what? I'm not sure, but the, but the uh, he must be in a bit of a pickle because it's not been a happy environment to work in, has it? And um, yeah, they haven't spent a lot of money. I don't know. I, I, I I'm inclined to to defend that. I, th- I think he was going to leave, wasn't he? And that that this was this was pre-planned. And now he's been persuaded to stick around, and he didn't. He didn't want to move the the, the trip. And I get that. We're all people. We've all we only live once, don't we? You, you've got to you've got to live life and get the get the most out of it. And if his employers, his bosses, believe he's he's still the best person for that job, then Norwich fans have got to got to accept it and 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 get behind him and, and judge judge what he does post Everest in terms of um, of bringing in the right the right people but yeah it, it does feel this time around that Norwich will be will find it harder to bounce straight back to the Premier League because this squad is looks yeah looks weak I just hope there's a mix zone at the bottom of Everest and when he gets back down they say to him a journalist says to him which is harder staying in the Premier League or climbing Everest <laughs> Yeah, but there is a yeah you know, there is a serious issue here. I think Paul, where yeah you know, I I was very taken. Tony Mowbray was speaking a couple of days ago about the way that football management or being a football manager impinges on the whole work life balance. And he said he said, look, you know, my five year old boy, I see him maybe once or twice a week. Mm. I think that's what people don't realise, isn't it? Yeah, the fans are indifferent in to that. They're, and I, I sometimes look at these managers, actually, and I think, you know, if, if you study the logistical cycle they're in, it's it's frightening, you know, getting home from games at three o'clock in the morning and then, you know, and then there's there's another one two days later. They're in a washing machine, really. It, and it and, and it's the, the, the sort of mental distraction as well, the stress they're under. They must be very... Some of them must be very sort of not present in their own homes when they are present because they've got so many things on their mind. And it's easy for a fan to switch the television on and say, OK, who are we playing tonight and who are we playing on Saturday and not think about the, the human element and, and, and what it takes from the people involved to commit to that schedule and to, and to concentrate and focus on all those games. And as I said, the actual physical, logistical business of getting around the country and getting around Europe, you know, it must be, it must be very draining. 
I, I recently interviewed uh, Chris Davis, the number two at Leicester City. Young guy, very highly rated coach. He's been the sort of loyal assistant to Brendan Rodgers for, for a number of years now. And yeah, he, he was talking about this and, and how he feels it's his job as number two to to only give Brendan what he needs to hear. You know, only give him it. He doesn't want, he doesn't need to hear everything about what's going on in the club. It, it's, a, it's a case of, Chris can deal with it with the, with the rest of, rest of their staff. They can deal with certain things so that Brendan has time to think and to weigh up the big calls. And I, I think that's really really important for 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 managers at any level actually to have the right people around them that can can take on some of the responsibility because there is so much pressure. And he also talked about the scrutiny these days of every, every time you go onto a pitch, especially in the Premier League, the scrutiny people the world over are analysing what you're doing and, and every pass, every shot, every decision that a manager makes. And I think that, that that can be overwhelming, I would imagine, if you stop to think about it. And, and, and that pressure is something that we probably should take into account a little bit more because it, it must be incredibly hard. I know they get paid a lot, but but it's still tough. Yeah, I, I was really struck by by the the site of Sean Dyche at a I think they were called the Scone Roses. It was some one of these sort of tribute acts, you know, in a, you know, you know, That's a great name. In a in a in a pub in, in Nottingham a couple of days after he got sacked. It, it it seemed as if all the sort of worries and everything had just drained away and he was, you know, having a pint with his mates, which is great. Now I'll put my hands up. I was one of those who felt sacking him was a fundamental mistake. Yet Burnley have taken seven points out of nine, which maybe suggests he'd run his course with that particular group of players. What do you think of that, Paul? And do you think Burnley are probably timing their run perfectly? Yeah, my initial reading of his sacking was that it was to do with friction between him and the owners and the board and that it was a it was a sort of political decision more than a footballing decision. The, the way the team has performed since makes you think that there was an element of football involved because the players appear to be playing in a much more kind of expressive, liberated way, as if they're as if they're eager to get on with the job in a positive way, you know. But Burnley don't look like that, suddenly don't look like that sort of pr- pragmatic, scratchy, you know, direct... I know they did play a fair bit of football under Sean Dyche and he hates being called a, you know, a, a 4-4-2 merchant and all the rest of it. But nevertheless, they are playing differently now. And it suggests the players are enjoying that and they wanted to play a bit more like that and they're getting success from it and points from it. Uh, they, it's just a question of whether, whether that, that newly kind of liberated sense they've got will provide them with enough points to stay up or whether they'll suddenly hit the, they'll hit the wall at some point and find out that they're actually not good enough to stay up. But it's certainly a promising start. Yeah, well, they've only scored 29 goals, haven't they? Aid. A couple of games against Villa in the run-in, which offers them some sort of hope, I would think. And they've got the chance to put Watford's relegation beyond reasonable doubt on Saturday. They have, yeah. And you'd have to fancy them at Watford because Watford got such a dreadful home record, haven't they? That double header against Villa will be huge. Yeah, I think Paul's right. They're definitely a little bit more liberated under Mike Jackson. I think what he's done, it is easy, I think, for a, a temporary coach to come in and say, to the players, I trust you, express yourself. And I think that's what, what he's done. He's basically said, 
we can pass this shorty. You can play it into his feet. He can look after it, can't you? And he's like, yeah, of course I can. I mean, they've got good players. Veghorst has got a great touch. Cornet's a talent. Dwight McNeil. Dwight McNeil wasn't getting enough touches of the ball. That was the problem. He's a wonderful dribbler. Can make things happen. But they were playing too many chase balls, weren't they, down the channels. It was, it was a really functional style of play that Deitch was wedded to. I think Jackson, what he's done is say, no, let's, let's just shorten things up. Give it to Dwight McNeil's feet. Give it to Veghorst and, and let's play from there. And and the players in the short term are, are actually enjoying it. And and they're realizing that they've got that that platform to show show everybody that maybe they're, they're better players than, than than they looked previously. So that's part of it. But whether that can be maintained between now and the end of the season, we'll we'll find out. I, I do think Burnley's running is is better than Everton's. I've got to say, they've they've given themselves a, a real shot at survival here. Yeah, with Watford, it's it's unlikely, almost certain, that Roy Hodgson won't hang around for next season, Paul. It's a, I thought it was a, a strange decision to come back. It's the godfather, isn't it? Every time I try to get it out, they pull me back in, you know. And, <laughs> and you can imagine Roy sitting down there in his, in his lovely home thinking, oh, why not? Let's just give it one more go. The money's good. I proved I can do it. The, the Watford have got some promising young players. Yeah, get up there and um, let's let's do it one more time. But it's backfired on him because <clears throat> I watched him the other day on the touchline and he seemed to be looking at this Watford team with a look of incredulity on his face. He just couldn't understand the team. He couldn't understand what he was working with. <laughs> and, and his facial expression alone said to me, maybe should have stayed at home. Yeah. There are lists of potential successors beginning to emerge, eh? You know, some of the usual suspects, you know, Daniel Farker, Martinez being named. The one that took my eye, Fabio Cannavaro. It's a sort of it's the sort of left field Watford appointment, isn't it? It really um, is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of experience in the Gulf. He's in China last heard of, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's managed over in China. I think he's he, he's had success as a coach. I think he's won titles previously, but yeah, it's it's a little bit different, isn't it? Taking to, you know because what if, if and when Watford go down, that they will expect to come straight back up, and yeah, that, that it feels like that would be a, quite a risky appointment for me. Daniel Farker would be the one that that I would chase. Uh, proven, obviously, come up out of the championship numerous occasions, I, and I rate I do rate Daniel Farker. I think he's a, a terrific person and and a very good coach. But but in his shoes, would would I would I choose Watford? The answer is probably not because he was used to stability at Norwich, and he certainly won't get that at Watford. They they get into that point, Watford, aren't they? Because of their sort of hire and fire policy, where they're sort of alienating themselves from a lot of good good choices. I would imagine Roy Hodgson took it, like Paul said. Why not? I mean, I've one last one last stab at it, but 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 real quality managers will look at the 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 longevity of the head coaches there and think that's not for me so that yeah i think they've shortened their their net quite considerably because of the way that they work mm. leeds i suppose are on the periphery of of any relegation conversation paul they're at home to manchester city they've lost all their nine previous games against the top six this season you know however distracted city might be by the champions league they've got no hope have they 
Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. They've already been beaten 7-0 by, by um, City this season. So they, they're looking for a big turnaround there, aren't they? Maybe maybe 7-6 this time or something. No, I mean, um, I shouldn't be flippant. Le- Leeds, Leeds have, have, have done quite well since they got rid of Marcello Bielsa, which was, let's face it, that was a big emotional decision and it was a big rupture with everything they'd been doing for the past few years and everything that got them into this position in the first place. So it must have been very hard for Jesse Marsh to say, right, what am I going to do now to put the Bielsa period behind us and actually give us a chance of staying in the Premier League? And he's done pretty much everything he could have done. And a neutral would probably feel that that Leeds should be rewarded really for that in many ways and and that they're 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 kind of the Premier League is better for having Leeds in it but of course it doesn't work on sentiment does it it works on points it's honestly I look at their running it's not easy the next three games Man City Arsenal and, and Chelsea I mean History, recent history tells you they'll get zero points out of that. They've they've taken no points from the top six at all this season. They've lost every single game, and that that means that that Burnley or Everton could have caught them by the time they get to their final two games, which is Brighton at home and and Brentford away. Now they're tricky games. Brentford away is not not one you want on the final day, and and Brighton are a, a curious team as we know, <laughs> capable of winning at Arsenal and Spurs, but but. You know, equally capable of you know fluffing a million chances and losing against you know a, a, a lower light in the in the league. So, I think Leeds. I'm looking at their running and I'm struggling to see a guaranteed three points. I just don't see it. Mm. So they probably need one win, don't they, Paul? Leeds, yeah, they they do, they do, and that is that is a, an incredibly daunting fixture list, as as Ada said. But one thing they do have going for them is is kind of unity and spirit and they're organised now. So maybe that the spirit they've displayed to get them this far just shows itself at a crucial moment and they, and they snatch a win somewhere. Yeah, um, I suppose when you look at it, the return of Calvin Phillips has been really well-timed for them, hasn't it, Aid? Um, He's class, isn't he? He is a, he is a quality player. Talisman. Will, they, will they be able to keep him? Well, he, yeah, he's, yeah, possibly. It, it depends... What he thinks of, of Jesse Marsh potentially, doesn't it? How whether he he trusts in the new manager to to continue the good times at Ellen Road to to elevate them higher up the league. He won't he won't want to leave Leeds United because he's uh, he's a local boy. It's his club, and he's become a full England international a regular, really under Gareth Southgate, playing for the club that he's always dreamed of of representing. So. There's no urgency to leave unless they get relegated, is, is there really? But but it will depend, I think, on, on his relationship with Jesse Marsh. I have to say, he's, he's impressed me. I like the way that he talks. Uh, five games unbeaten as well. You have to respect that. And and, and he's he's brought an element of stability to, to a group of players that were all over the place, weren't they, previously? I mean... I'd have, I'd have felt like, even me at 47, I might have had a chance of scoring against Leeds, the way they were <laughs> defending. Um, but not now. They, they, they've definitely uh, definitely tightened up. OK. So it's tin helmet time, chaps. Who are your three to go down? Paul? First two are easy, Watford and Norwich, and then I still think uh, Burnley in the third spot. Eight? 
<laughs> I've always talked myself into thinking Leeds are going down, but they <laughs> they might they might just get that three points they need against Brighton just because of the motivation. Um, it will matter so much more to them. I think Everton. I, I I can't believe I'm saying it, but I haven't seen enough evidence that that this Everton team have turned any kind of corner under Frank Lampard and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to get enough points. I think that Burnley's revival is going to send them down. Yeah, well, I'll go with the consensus that Watford and Norwich are gone. And as Aid said, their defiance is in Burnley's DNA. Leeds need a win. Will they get it? Probably. Now, Everton, they've got a winnable away game at Watford, but their fate's likely to be decided in home games. Chelsea, Brentford... Crystal Palace and to be honest I fear for them as I said earlier to blame Lampard is is a nonsense relegation at that club has been a long time coming so in the meantime thanks to Paul and Adrian for their insight and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.